0: Lord, thank you for this opportunity tonight to come before you and worship God. And as you put on Stephanie's heart to trust in you, Lord, and as we've sung this song that when we trust you, do not fail, God. Thank you for coming through for us, God. Thank you for responding to our cries and our needs and our prayers. Um, when it seems like nothing is happening, God, we know that you desire um, to bless us. We know that you desire, God, to keep us from evil. We know that you desire, Lord Jesus, for us to walk in close relationship and in peace with you. Um, God, as uh, we literally experienced all these things that the the song just sung about today with our weather, God, what what a great example. God, as as the storms come, as wind blows, as snow and hail and sleet all come down in one March day, uh, thank you, God, for the reminder that you've got our back. You are the foundation on which we stand. Jesus, you declared that you would build your church on the rock, and that rock is you that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we praise your name this evening. We invite your presence, God, to have your will here in this place. We repent of sin. We praise your name, and we just pray that the preaching we are about to listen to will be powerful and impact us with your peace and with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Free Church downtown. Welcome, guys. Um, if you want to spend a couple of seconds, moments, just walk around, greet one another, say hello. Um, Let somebody know today what your favorite snow memory was, since it snowed during the month of March, and then have a seat. Welcome. We're glad you came tonight. Um, This is our first service that we are having that is our normal service on a Saturday evening downtown. We were meeting at the Reed Opera House on Sunday evenings, and God has blessed us with this space. Uh, Dwayne's got a great story about God blessing us with this space and moving us on from the read. If you want to ask him to share his bold story after church, ask him. You'll love it. Um, So we're glad to have you here. This is an amazing space to meet at. And we are in a series right now called Spill the Tea. And how many of you know what spill the tea means? Raise your hand if you know what that phrase means. Spill the tea. All you Gen Zers know what it means. Spill the tea means uh, give me the gossip. Give me me the word on the street about something. And that's what the book of 1 Corinthians is, is... Paul is getting all the tea about a church that he founded in the city of Corinth. He's living in Ephesus. He's in the city of Ephesus for three years. He is hearing about things going on back in Corinth, things that are not so good. And so he writes this letter, which is actually his second letter. This is technically 2 Corinthians, but we call it 1 Corinthians. He writes this letter to the church to address all sorts of issues, all sorts of questions that they have. And so we're going through this book topically as if you have read through Paul's writings before, he's all over the place. He, he's hard to follow because he's just such a genius and so being led by the Spirit, he can be hard to follow. And so we've divided up this book for the sake of teaching into the topics that come up within it. And I am proud to announce that tonight we are going to talk about the topic that everyone loves to talk about at church, and it's what makes kids really comfortable to sit next to their parents during, and that's about sex. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so if you came to church to talk about sex, if that's what you'd like to talk about at church, you're strange, but you're also in the right place. Um, And so we're going to dig in in just a minute. Before I do, uh, we have Easter coming up. It is March. I know it snowed today, but Easter is early this year. Easter is March 31st. And so a couple Easter plans As we have Easter services, uh, three of them during Easter weekend. So Saturday, March the 30th, uh, here at 6 p.m. we're going to have a full kids program that Saturday for Easter. We also have two services at Sunnyside. We're going to have one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m., we're not doing kids' church at 9, we're doing kids at 11, and at both locations we'll have egg hunts, uh, we'll have crafts, snacks, music, Easter story. We're going to be having baptisms at least at Sunnyside. I'm going to talk to um, Bishop Tim from Victory Life Church and uh, Kevin Truitt from uh, Connection Life Church who met here before have you ever had baptisms here before, Lisa? Okay, we're going to make it happen. We're we'll finding a way to have baptisms in here. So we'll figure out a way. So we want to do baptisms on Easter weekend. So if you've yet to take that plunge and take that next step in your faith uh, with Jesus Christ, we'll be conducting baptisms on Easter weekend, maybe here, but definitely um, at Sunnyside as well. So we are going to jump on in. And today, as we look at uh, this topic that comes up again and again throughout 1 Corinthians, we're actually. Not even going to study 1 Corinthians today. Um, Normally, my notes for a sermon are about seven pages, maybe nine at the most extreme. But as I was working this week on this message, um, it was 14 pages. And so I'm like, we can't keep people here that long. And so we are going to split this series up, or this this mini-series within the series. We're going to split it up into two weeks, and so we get to talk about this very comfortable topic for two weeks instead of just one. And what we're going to do today is we are going to lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we're going to dig in to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but we need to lay some foundations of what we're going to be studying and look at what we would call human relationship Marriage or human sexuality from a biblical perspective. And as we jump in, I want to not give a preface, but just let you know a couple things. One, we believe that God's grace is what saves us. Amen? Our behavior, our good works can never make us right in the sight of God. And so we are saved by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that those who are in Christ are new creations. It says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so if you are a Christian and if you are feeling, you know, kind of a stirring within your heart or God is challenging you over things that you study within his word, that's called conviction. And conviction is a wonderful thing. Conviction draws us to repentance. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We looked at last week that when we restore people, when we see someone who has fallen, that we are to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And so we are all about grace, but we are also all about truth. And we have to look at the truth of God's word, and then we need to be ready to apply grace in a spirit of gentleness and help people come to a sense of reconciliation in whatever it is they're struggling with in their life, including relationship-oriented things. Um, One more thing I'll mention is that a couple of months ago in the month of November, we were going to do a series on love, sex, and relationships, but God kept saying no. We kept looking at a couple other things, but I'm really excited for this because the topics that already come up in 1 Corinthians allow us to dig into those things. And so to prepare ourselves for 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, we want to start at the start. Start at the beginning. In the beginning, we've got the book of Genesis. And so if you want to look with me or open your Bible to Genesis chapter 2 is what we will be reading from today. And all the verses will be up on the screen. And we want to look to see where God's plan for human relationship and flourishing comes from. And so Genesis two eighteen, it says this, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. How many of you wives know that your husband can't do anything without you? It's not good that men should be alone. Men, we're pretty, we're, we're pretty pathetic sometimes, and oftentimes we rely on our wives to help us. And Adam was no different. God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. So God says, I will make a helper fit for him. Some of your translations say, I will make a helper that is suitable for the man. I'll make a helper that is suitable for Adam. And so verse 19 says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call these animals. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that was suitable or fit for him. Imagine being Adam. You see all of the animal kingdom, every one of these creatures gets to express relationship between the opposite sex in a way and a means which would create offspring. But for Adam, there is no fit helper, no suitable helper for him. And so because God exists forever and always as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mankind, too, was created to be in relationship with one another. Like the animal kingdom, mankind was to have a unique relationship with the opposite sex in a manner that would produce offspring. What did God tell Adam and Eve when he created them? He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And so the opposite sex for Adam, the opposite sex for man was... Um, woman. Woman is the opposite sex of mankind. And so when God says that there wasn't a helper that was fit for Adam, when you look at that phrase helper, I want you to know, especially for women or how men would look at women, that the term helper is not a derogatory term. In fact, scripture calls God our helper. It's the exact same word that is used to describe God, God our helper. Helper is not a derogatory term for women, but instead the phrase helper is maybe actually a little derogatory towards men. It means men need help. Men need help. So not derogatory, it means men needs help, but it also means that women will complement men to accomplish the purposes of mankind as a whole. And so in our communities, we need both Men and women. How many of you are grateful you don't live on a planet that is only men? That would be would be an interesting planet. But the cool thing about men, though, is they can get just in a real brief fist fight, and then it's good, and they can get along, and everything's peaceful. Imagine living on a planet full of just women. Um, I don't know what it would be like. So you you determine you determine what that would be like. You think about that, pray about it, um, trust in the Spirit, see how He'd lead you to respond. So. Genesis 1.27 says this, going back to chapter 1. It says, God created man in his own image. God created man in his own image, male and female. He created mankind. So here's some more laying of foundation. It takes both men and women to properly reflect the image of God as it was intended. How many of you are grateful there are both men and women? There's a complementary Sex. The reason why it takes men and women to fully express the image of God as intended is because women have attributes attributed to females that males don't have. And men have attributes attributed to males also from God that women do not have. Um, I know that's actually a very controversial statement to make in the year 2024, but it is radically true. Um, Science has proven that men and women's brains work differently. And men and women have these special attributes that both parties do not bring to the table, but each together can fully express the image of God. Each of them complements the other. So with this idea of the fact that, well, if, if men and women fully... Um, reflect the image of God on a more holistic way, does that mean that every person should get married? Does that mean that if I'm single, I need to get married in order to reflect the image of God? And the answer to that is no, it's not what that means at all. You don't have to get married, you don't need a husband, you don't need a wife to reflect the image of God But if you have not been called to marriage, if you do not desire marriage, the Apostle Paul actually says some things would be better for you in your life if you were not married. Married people say amen. Don't, please, actually. Um, Some things, he said, would be easier for you. But here's what we learn in the church and in the community, in the body of Christ Where there are communities of both men and women present, that is where we fully reflect the image of God. You might not be married, but you should be in communities where there are both men and women, and that's why it's so wonderful to have both men and women in the body of Christ because together we reflect the image of God fully. But with that being said, even though you certainly don't have to get married, most people will get married. Most people will at least end up in a a long-term romantic sexual relationship. Most people will get married. And as a result, most people will be able to express this unique human relationship and express it in unique ways that, again, can produce offspring. So let's look at Genesis 2, verse 21. So Adam recognizes he is alone. We're now zooming in, and we're going to see how God creates both man and women in his image. In verse 21, it says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while the man slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. How many of you say, I wonder how that happened? It's confusing. I don't, I don't know. But God takes a rib from the flesh of Adam and fashions a woman for him. And this is where we are introduced to the first wedding ceremony in human history. God brings Eve to Adam. And as God brings Eve to Adam, what does Adam do? Well, in full high school musical fashion, in full Mamma Mia, the worst musical ever made fashion, In full greatest showman fashion, Adam sings when he sees his wife. How many of you men sing every time you see your wife? You sing a song. Some of you should not sing a song when you see your wife. My wife begs me to, and I'm like, I just can't. I just can't all the time. And so this is what Adam sings. I won't sing it, but I'll read the lyrics of his song. He says, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is a song in Hebrew, the language in which this passage of scripture is written. And he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is like Adam saying, it's me. She is like me because there was no one like Adam. And now there is someone there who is like him. And if any of you have been married or are married, you know that your spouse actually causes you to see yourself even better, usually your flaws. In relationship, we see ourselves more clearly. And here Adam sees her, sees him. It's bone of my bone. It's flesh of my flesh. And the fact that God takes this rib from Adam's side, here's what it shows us. It shows us that it costs something for men to be in relationship with women. It costs something. For a man to be in relationship with women, it costs something. A sacrifice was made that day for Eve. This new, unique relationship for man would be a relationship of what we call love. And love always costs something. Love requires sacrifice. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Paul answers the question we might ask, well, how does Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Love requires sacrifice. Even if you're not in a romantic, committed uh, marriage or sexual intimate relationship, all types of love, all types of friendship, companionship, familial love, it requires sacrifice. This is how we show love to one another. This is love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love always costs something. And I want you to think about the woman being fashioned from this man's rib. You see, the woman was to be close to the man's heart. And the woman was taken from his rib. And if you think about your ribs, feel your ribs for a moment. You can't feel your ribs push real hard. They're in there, okay? Um, The rib is something that protects the heart. The rib is something that is close to the heart. And some of us, some of you, we we have a hard time trusting, like, like Stephanie said. Because love doesn't only just cost something, but love requires trust. Because what love is, is it's essentially removing a rib and handing someone your heart and saying, I'm going to choose to trust you with my heart. And there is the possibility that the one who loves you will actually break your heart. I can actually guarantee the one who loves you in some way will always break your heart. There is a song that says, if it doesn't break your heart, it's not love. And so this rib that's taken, it represents the fact that this is going to cost each of them something. There's a risk that's required in love, and it's exactly what Adam would take. The rib is not a part of your body that's in the front, necessarily. The rib is not a part of your body that's technically in the rear. It's on the side. So God takes this piece of flesh from Adam's side, and that shows to us and gives us a clue that this relationship that man and woman would have, that the woman would not be dragged behind Adam in subservience to him. And because she was taken from his side also too, the woman would not drag Adam behind her in subservience to her. She was taken from his side. Eve would be not a in front of helper or not a behind the scenes helper, but Eve would be what I like to call an alongside helper. And if you're married, that's what you are to one another. You are an alongside helper to your spouse. The man and the woman were equal in value. The man and the woman were equal in worth. But they both reflected the image of God. And they both reflected the image of God in different ways that were complementary to one another. And maybe you come from a culture or a background where where women are lesser than than men, but that is not godly, nor from the word of God, women and men are equal in value and equal in worth, both fully reflecting the image of God. However, they have complementary attributes and roles. There are roles and attributes I don't have as a man, that God receives glory from women, for giving and vice versa. And so this is a unique loving relationship between two members of the opposite sex, the man and his alongside helper, woman, this relationship, this unique relationship, it would consummate in what we today call marriage. And it would consummate as well in loving, mutually beneficial sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy is mutually beneficial. Sexual intimacy is loving. Genesis 2.24 In this wedding ceremony, it says, Therefore a man, and we believe this is God himself speaking, Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will hold fast to his wife. If you're married and a man, or if you'd like to be married, you are called to hold fast to your wife. You say, what does that mean? It means hold on tightly. Um, Some translations use the word cleave, cleave to your wife. Hold on tightly to express your love for her be there to protect her, to love her, to honor her, to make sacrifices for her. A man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they will become, what does the, the word say? That What will they become? Become one flesh. When they cleave together, when the man leaves and when the husband and wife cleave to one another, they become one flesh. And then it says in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So the man leaving his father, the man leaving His mother is a sign of him now bearing responsibility and bearing the leadership for his wife and for their future family. And they would hold fast to one another, naked, unashamed. And they would do this in sexual intimacy as man and wife. And as they do this, they would become one flesh. You ever thought about what one flesh means? Paul alludes to this idea of one flesh in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul would later say this idea of husband and wife becoming one flesh. He said it's a profound mystery. It's essentially the union of two souls and this union of two souls, this becoming of one flesh of husband and wife. This is something that would be modeled after Christ's coming union with his body, the church. God's created standard for human relationship, God's created standard for marriage, and God's created standard for human sexuality, it's ratified in the law of Moses. It's affirmed by Jesus Christ himself, and it's taught on by Paul. And here is God's created standard. If you're taking any notes, this is his standard for us. It's this. It's one man and one woman in one marriage as one flesh for one life. What's God's standard? This is it. It's one man, one woman, in one marriage, as one flesh, for one life. We say when we get married, till death do us part. This is God's standard. And this standard that we see, one man and one woman, in one marriage, as one flesh, for one life... The purpose for this, the purpose for this standard, the purpose for this standard in sexual intimacy, it is for love. It is for unity. It is for help. It is for comfort. It is for protection. It is for pleasure, and it is for joy. It is also, too, for the bearing of children. And here's what God says about his standard. On every day of creation, as God creates thing after thing, animal after animal, day and night, earth and sea, birds and fish. Every time he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But when Adam was created, as God fashioned him from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into him, God says it is not good for man to be alone. And it's only when Eve is created. It is only when the complementary figure in human relationship is created that God doesn't just say it is good, but he actually says, behold, it is very good. And so this relationship that God has ordained and orchestrated between men and women, it's not just good. It is very good. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. One man, one woman, and one marriage is one flesh for one life. And with this in mind, what you need to know is that marriage and sex were intended to be permanent. Marriage and sex are intended to be permanent because it is the blending of souls. And something permanent cannot be casual. Something permanent cannot be casual. It's meant to be perfect. It's meant to mean something. And so, One-night stands or friends with benefits, um, sex clubs, open relationships, prostitution, pornography, this hookup culture. It is not real sex. It's a cheap imitation. It's a transaction. It's an exchange of bodies. It's the using of human beings for gratification. And so many of us in Paul's culture, in the city of Corinth, and in our culture today, when we do not treat marriage and sex as something that is permanent, but when we treat it as something that is casual, it's treating sex like eating something when you're hungry, drinking something when you're thirsty, or scratching something with itches. It's exactly what Paul is going to talk about in Ephesians chapter 6. But what sexual intimacy is is it's not just a biological need that is met with a biological means it is again the mingling of souls it is the something orchestrated by God himself and something that is orchestrated by God something that is supposed to be permanent and not casual here's what you need to know it is not easily broken when we try to make things like sex temporary when we try to make things like sexual intimacy or marriage or relationship, when we make those things casual, when we take those things before the proper commitment has been made, what happens is we begin to carry that thing around from relationship to relationship to relationship like baggage that we cannot get free of. Mingling of souls with souls with souls with souls with souls souls. and we all in some way sexually end up with what we call baggage. So where, where is freedom in that baggage? Only Christ can give freedom for that baggage. Only a commitment to treating sex as it's created can actually set you free from this baggage. You see, it was God who actually created sex and God set forth boundaries for human sexuality by which its purposes can be fulfilled and by which it can be enjoyed to the fullest. And anything outside of that standard, anything outside of one man, one woman, and one marriage as one flesh for one life, anything outside of that is outside of the boundaries. Anything outside of that falls short of God's glory. And all throughout Scripture, anything that falls short of that, Scripture blatantly calls throughout the Old and the New Testament, it calls sin. Sin. And the reason why I state it like that is because when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we really dig in next week, Paul's going to list sexual sin. And what our culture tries to do is, Paul lists sexual sin is our culture tries to say they didn't know what they were talking about then. Or for 2,000 years, we've, we've gotten the, the Greek language wrong and all of a sudden we are, have figured it out. Greeks didn't know Greek. We know Greek better. And so we have to look first. We have to lay this foundation, the standard, the boundaries that God has set. We have to understand those fully. So when God starts to list through the Apostle Paul sexual sin, it's not out of left field. It's actually drawing back to God's created order to begin with that we are called to follow, to walk in full freedom and in full joy. And so when we fast forward to the city of Corinth in Greece, this city, as most Greek cities As most cities within the Roman Empire, they were wrought with sexual sin and debauchery. We know specifically that in the church in Corinth, there was adultery. We know that in the church of Corinth, there was those who visited prostitutes and those who were prostitutes. Not only was prostitution an issue and a problem within the church and within the city of Corinth, but prostitution was actually used as a means to worship false gods, and this is how people would both make money and worship pagan gods and so when these people of Corinth both Jews and Gentiles get saved it rocks their entire culture and their entire way of life and Paul actually has to address them and where we might take it as a given that prostitution is bad the Greek culture accepted prostitution and Paul had to say hey I know this is how you've been raised I know that prostitution is completely normal for your society, but it is not God's ways. These are not God's standards. These are not within God's boundaries. We are to glorify and honor God with our bodies, and you have to rethink your whole life when the Spirit gets inside of you and starts changing your heart. We know that there is incest going on in the church in Corinth. We know that there's homosexuality taking place in the church in Corinth and in the city as a whole. All these things are happening in this church and so we glanced last week at chapter 5 but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 this is the only verse we'll read from 1 Corinthians today Paul says this it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and not a kind that's tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife Paul said this city's pretty messed up sexually this city and this culture has wretched views of human sexuality but the sin that's happening inside of the church it, it's so disturbing that even those in this city are saying, ew, no, that's that's too far. That's too far. Imagine our culture today saying something's too far. This is what's happening. The culture saying, what's happening in the church, it, it, it's too much. It's gone too far. So Paul wants these new Christians to be free of what they were entrenched in within their culture. Paul wants these Christians to be free from the baggage of sexual sin. And Paul wants this church and these new Christians to experience life and life to the full, just as Jesus intends for them to live. And Jesus came into this town, not physically, but he comes through the gospel and he changes everything in the house. And some of you have sexual sin in your homes and you need to invite Jesus into your home to shake everything up and to say, hey, this is not the way I've intended for you to live. This is not the standard I've set for you. This is not within the boundaries of protection that I've set for you to flourish in human relationship. And I have something better for you in its place. Sexual sin left unchecked ruins lives. I can't tell you the amount of lives I've seen ruined as a result of sexual sin. Uh, A friend of mine, um, I had to, several times, I've had to watch friends and acquaintances go to prison over sexual sin. Sexual sin ruins marriages. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have seen marriages ruined by sexual sin? How many of your own marriages have been ruined by sexual sin? Or how many of your own marriages have at least suffered extreme difficulty because of sexual sin? I do a lot of counseling and premarital counseling, and almost every married couple I talk to the story is usually the same from the man, and he will say something like, I thought when I got married that my pornography addiction would go away. Marriage doesn't do that, by the way. Only Christ can do that. Your wife is not your savior from sexual sin. Jesus Christ is, and, and when you enter into doing something right, when you enter into relationship as God intends, the enemy will be at your back, and he will be tempting you more than he possibly was tempting you before you ever even stepped into a marriage. Sexual sin ruins families. Some of you are from broken families because of sexual sin. Sexual sin also ruins churches. And it's about, it's, what it, it's what's about to happen in Corinth. And Paul says, guys, we, we got to get this right because sexual sin infects and influences, and it will ruin lives, and it will ruin this church. And that's why Paul tells the church in Ephesus this. He says, sexual immorality, so Ephesians 5.3, this city Ephesus is where Paul actually writes Corinthians from. He writes this letter to Ephesus. He tells them sexual immorality and all impurity, all covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among you the saints. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespassers as we forgive those who trespass us against us. But then he says this, he said, when you pray, Say this, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So many of us as Christians, when we are supposed to be praying, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So many of us, myself included, we find ourselves actually running toward temptation. And instead of being delivered from evil, we find ourselves flirting with evil, tiptoeing around evil, How close can I get to evil without becoming evil myself? How much can I be tempted without fully giving in? But Paul says, no, this is not a way to think about this. He says sexual sin, it shouldn't even be named among you. It's not proper among the saints. So to wrap up this foundation being laid for a look at Ephesians 6 next week and and addressing these three sexual sins Paul brings up. And if if you want to preview, he's going to bring up the the phrase, the word sexual immorality. We're going to learn what sexual immorality is. He then brings up the phrase uh, adultery. We'll learn what that is in context, and then he brings up the topic of homosexuality. These are the three sins he brings up, and we'll look at how do we how do we address these things? How do we tackle these things within our faith? Because God's created standard is one man, one woman, and one marriage is one flesh for one life, and it is for love. It is for unity. It is for help comfort it is for joy it is for pleasure it's for protection and it is those boundaries are for your good and it is to be very I'll ask Ryan to come up and close us in some worship songs but I, I want to end our time with another look at Ephesians 5 if you could kill these uh, house lights up towards the front um, look at this scripture with me Ephesians 5 verse 25 to 33 it says husbands love your wives we alluded to this earlier Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Next week, we're going to look specifically at what it means to be sanctified. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to be washed, cleansed. And he does this so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, that the church, might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes his flesh and cherishes his flesh, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, he's going to quote Genesis chapter 2, In 1 Corinthians 6, he's going to quote Genesis chapter 2, and Jesus himself quotes Genesis chapter 2 when he talks about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold on tight, cleave, hold on to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. We said earlier, it's a profound mystery what it means to become one flesh. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I don't know exactly how many thousands of years Adam and Eve lived before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's open for debate. I don't know how many thousands of years it was until God offered his gift of grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I don't know how many years it was between the birth of the church and the creation of mankind, but at minimum, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And here Paul says, the reason why God did that, his created purpose for marriage, uh, a man and a woman coming together as one flesh, it's a profound mystery. It's supposed to reflect the relationship That God desires to have with His church. Because Jesus tells us that we are to be in Him. We're to be in Christ. And through the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is to be in us. If you're a Christian tonight, you are in Jesus Christ, and He in you, and you are a member of His body, the church. You are actually called the bride of Christ. And God set up marriage. He knew before the foundations of the earth that this unique human relationship of one man with one woman in one marriage as one flesh for one life, it was not just for them. It was for him to bring him glory, and it was to show how much he loves and cares for us. And just as the husband and the wife are one flesh, so too has the church been united with Jesus Christ. And you may say, why are we ending here if we're just laying a foundation for all the bad things in Ephesians 6? It's because of this. The relationship that you have with other human beings is one of, if not the greatest testimony that you have of Jesus Christ to the world around you. The relationship that you have as a man with women in your life, daughters, sisters, aunts, cousins, coworkers, friends, girlfriends, spouses, etc. The relationship that men have with women is to reflect the relationship that God has towards his church. As a woman, the relationship that you keep and the way that you treat the men in your life, whether it be father, grandfather, uncle, cousin, friend, coworker, husband, boyfriend, fiance, it's gotta reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. When you say, I'm not married to every man, yeah, I get it. We're supposed to express love for one another, even our enemies, in such a way that the world would look at us and say, the church is different. You see, the problem in Corinth was the church wasn't different. Not only was the church not different in Corinth, the church was like worse than the world. Please don't raise hands, but how many of you have actually seen things happen in the church that are worse than things you've experienced in the world? I can say I have not to be this way. Sexual sin shouldn't even be named among us. I had a conversation with a young man years ago who had claimed he had a relationship with Christ, claimed to be a Christian. And he started to struggle with sexual sin. He started to struggle with with all this stuff we're talking about. And I was talking to him about Jesus and his relationship with Jesus, the salvation he used to claim to have. And I'll never forget what he told me. You see, there was a couple in the church that this young man had grown up in. And he said, if marriage in the church looks like that, I want nothing to do with the church. And he pointed out two specific people that I knew. He said, if, if that's what Christians live like, if that's how husbands treat their wives and that's how wives treat their husbands, I want nothing to do with Christ. And you might say, well, pastor, that was an extreme jump and a leap for him to make a little bit except for Paul says, this is a profound mystery. Our marriages are to reflect the relationship with Christ and the church. So how's your marriage doing? Every marriage needs a lot of work. What's the marriage you desire to have one day? Women, it is so, 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 so important that you choose the right guy. Don't settle. Do not settle. Set your standards incredibly high. Wait till someone meets those standards. Because that relationship is, is gonna be one of the most prolific relationships that will make an impact on the world around you and is to reflect Jesus Christ to those around you. If you're single, say, I don't know if I wanna get married. I, I actually know I don't wanna get married. That's, that's fine too. Paul says, it'll be easier for you. And let me tell you, it will in a lot of ways. But I also get you struggle with things in ways that married people don't. Say, well, how does, what does this mean for me? It means the way you treat people matters married or not. One last little life story, talking to a, a friend today at a party, and they were telling me about a neighbor they had um, who, who died unexpectedly in a car crash in her 80s, and um, the way that the person described this woman who died is, yeah, yeah, she, she really loved her community, and she really hated her enemies. She actually just got A priest fired from an Episcopal church because of a feud she had with him. She moved here from another state where she had a 20-year battle with an HOA that she was still fighting when she died. A single woman. This could be a single man. How you treat people matters. Married or not, how you treat people matters. Love with gentleness. Let your kindness draw people to repentance. And as these messages are heavy as they involve sexual sins that in some way almost all of us have engaged in in some way whether through lust or things we've seen things we've heard things we've experienced or things we've engaged in these things can cause traumatic memories. But I want you to know that if you are in Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and how Christians respond to sin sexual sin or not we respond with grace. We respond with with confession, if we're the one in sin. We respond with repentance, turning from our sin. We respond with pushing into the Spirit, following Him and trusting Him to overcome the sin that He died for. And those around us in sin or those around people in sin, the church is all about restoration. The church is all about reconciliation. The church is about restoring people in a spirit of gentleness. And so there's no condemnation for you tonight. But if there's conviction, listen to it very clearly and plainly and be obedient with that conviction. And if God's convicting you of sin, whether it's a sin that's not a sexual sin at all, whether it's a sin of pornography or lust, whether it's a sin of a relationship you're not supposed to be in right now and you need to end it immediately, whatever it is, be receptive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and do not let your heart to harden towards him. Allow him to come in and change you and empower you and equip you. So as we sing, um, you've noticed we have um, communion set up in front of us. And we'll be singing two songs. And, and whenever you feel like you're, you're ready, when you've confessed sin before the Lord, when, when you have examined your heart to see if there's anything you need to bring before him, I want to invite you at your own timing to to come up, and if you could just um, take a piece of this bread and uh, take the cup and go back to your seat, and when you're ready, let's remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ together tonight, because it's through the body and blood of Christ that our sins are forgiven, these sins we're talking about. It's through the body and blood of Christ that we have freedom. And I love what we call this. We call it communion. Because it represents the communion you and I have with God through Christ. But it also represents communion that the church has together. Because all throughout the ages, the church has been comprised of people of all sorts of backgrounds and cultures coming together over the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And they would eat at the same table together, where in their cultures that is not something that they would do. And so tonight as we worship and as we sing, let's partake of communion together as well. If you've given your life to Jesus, he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents his body broken for you. The juice represents his blood spilled out for you. And maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus tonight. Tonight's a night to surrender your life to Christ and say, Jesus, I'm yours. If you're struggling tonight with with any of these things we've talked about or anything at all, um, I'll have a couple of our leaders right at these corners. We just love to pray over you as you want to come up and take communion. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Two things the Lord told me to pray for people tonight were this is, one is there's someone here who is desperate to receive freedom from something that you are stuck in and you feel like you cannot get out. The Lord wants to set you free, but you need to take a step of faith and allow someone to pray over you to receive the freedom that it is that you seek. The other is um, the discomfort that comes into a room when you talk about sexual sin because of your own sexual sin. And it may seem impossible to let go of, but all things are possible through Christ. And if you give that to Christ, you say, well, I never struggle with sexual sin again. Oh, you'll still struggle. The difference is now you don't have to give in to that struggle because you have the spirit of the Lord living within you. And if you fall, if you fail after surrendering that thing to Christ, Christ is gracious and he'll allow you to hand that thing back over to him again. Repent of it trust in him, push into him, keep following him when you fail. That's the difference between those who are saved and those who are not. Those who are saved, when we fail, we submit that thing to Jesus and we keep following and we seek to put that sin to death. Those who do not know Christ ignore their conviction and they keep living in sin. But let's not let that even be named among us. So would you stand? Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Prepare our hearts, God, as we Uh, are about to partake in communion. Let us offer up our hearts to you through song and through ministry and through prayer. God, if someone here tonight has baggage that they wish to leave behind, would you take that load from them? Because your load is easy, your burden is light, and you want us to hand that over to you. God, for for the person here tonight that that has not surrendered their life to you, God, you're... You're telling me very plainly, there's someone here who needs to give their life to you. May tonight be the night that they say, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Lord, may every hidden sin be repented of before it's exposed. Would every broken relationship that you have put together be reconciled. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.